The Hawkeyes looking to bounce back after a tough 24-20 loss uh, to Purdue. David Eichel here, HawkeyeInsider.com, as always, joined by Sean Bach. Really quick before we get started here, 50% off an annual subscription, HawkeyeInsider.com. Uh, be sure to check that out. All the latest news, analysis, discussion, everything that you want for the most in-depth Iowa coverage uh, in the market. But, Sean, Iowa comes back home to Kinnick for the first time this season, assuming that um, – the game is going to be played, and from all expectations, it is going to be as Iowa continues to do a pretty good job uh, on the COVID front. And the reason why I mention that is because this is as of maybe 90 minutes ago, Sean, that uh, Nebraska and Wisconsin will not uh, be played after six Wisconsin staff members and six uh, Wisconsin players have tested positive uh, for the virus. So it's a kind of an interesting thing there. Uh, but, Sean, I know just to quickly review for folks not uh, aware of it, in order to win the division, either East or West, you have to complete a minimum of six games. And right now with Wisconsin, it will be interesting to see if they'll even be able to go up against Purdue next week. And, Sean, and if they are going to go up against Purdue next week, they're only going to have about three days of prep to prepare for Purdue's passing attack. And even then – they're not going to have their top three quarterbacks ready to go. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be definitely going to be interesting to see how all this stuff plays out. I mean, you look back to August when we got that original kind of revised schedule that we we're thinking, okay, this is a great idea. We're going to have those four weeks from um, the regular season to the conference championship, or however they were going to do it with the one, two, three, four seeds in each division, um, we were going to have four weeks that were basically used for, okay, if you have any game cancellations, if anything goes wrong, um, if we have to reschedule a game for any reason, we have these four dates, we have these four weekends for us to be flexible. Then the Big Ten goes on to cancel the season, and now to reschedule it, and now look at look at, look at where things are right now. Um, it's just kind of a mess overall. I mean, we kind of felt that it was going to be inevitable at some point that all this stuff was going to come back to haunt the big 10. And like, I mean, people were talking about it soon, like even like, obviously there's the, the Corona bros that they like to call them, but there's other like media members too, that have been really um, pushing for the college football season that have kind of said like, Hey, like this is going to be like literally trying to pull off the impossible, the big 10 trying to do all these games um, in like this matter of time and making yeah. like, nothing going wrong because you live on a college campus. Like now I don't know what like Graham Mertz and the coaching staff did to contract the virus, um, whether it was before or after Illinois. I think they said he tested positive or tested negative before Illinois. So no one knows really how he got it or anything. So it's kind of not the right thing to do to really make assumptions and point fingers. But yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, the virus is a virus, but I think really all fingers point back to the Big Ten because you had a way to prevent this. There were preventive measures. I mean, obviously daily testing is huge, but you had, in terms of regular season, you had four weeks to really be flexible. You ended up botching that. So now look at look at where things are now. Now it doesn't seem like these two teams will be able to really compete for the Big Ten West. No, and like you said, Sean, I mean, keep in mind, too, that the rapid testing was the game changer. I mean, that's why the Big Ten season came back. But like you said, if they had stuck with the original schedule and if that rapid testing had come into fruition, I fully believe that one of those companies in the Big Ten would have worked something out 
you know, maybe not right is obviously training camp starts, but I mean, maybe at the very beginning of the season, if you have to cancel a game or two at the beginning of the season, well, guess what? You have two weeks at the end of the season that you can uh, kind of retrace that back. If you have to fit 10 games in 12 weeks at that point, you know, fantastic. I think if they would have started around the SEC time, I think the SEC started September 26th. I think that that would have been a really good date uh, for the Big Ten if they'd stuck with it originally. But like you mentioned, Sean, they a lot of national media has been slamming the Big Ten's decision. I mean, even when we got the initial uh, protocols and we got what they were going to do, I mean, you and I, even on the side, Sean, just said this is going to be a – it's going to just be an absolute mess and it's going to be near impossible to pull off. I mean, the Big Ten did not help itself with the guidelines. Granted, I do believe that they're trying to protect the athletes, protect the players, and um, especially when it comes to myocarditis and that – you know, the 14-day quarantine, then the additional seven-day quarantine to return to physical activity, to monitor their heart, you know, and and go through all that. But it it is just a mess. And we'll see if, again, if if Wisconsin will even be able to come back next week and play in a game. And it, you know, it's got to be frustrating for Scott Frost in Nebraska because their guys are not, you know, have not contracted the virus. As far as, you know, we know to public knowledge, they are under the threshold. They expected that, you know, they got to be frustrated because they did their part in to play a game this weekend. And now they can't. And granted, keep another thing to keep in mind, too, before we kind of start really diving into Iowa Northwestern. Wisconsin is, without a doubt, I believe right now, the biggest uh, COVID-19 outbreak in the Big Ten as far as state goes. I'm not talking about campus. But the state uh, is up there. I mean, Iowa's not much not much better, but it is better in terms of numbers uh, right now. So it'll be interesting to kind of follow that story. But, Sean, let's dive right into – uh, Iowa football. Now that you've had a couple of days to sit on it, what are maybe two or three things that you're looking that Iowa uh, needs to fix heading into this weekend? Yeah, I mean, I think passing. I think the passing game will be something. Um, I know I just said it before on our message boards that Spencer Futures, I mean, he is nowhere near the worst problem, but I think just having him being like fully – not fully accurate, but, like, making some of the plays that he didn't make on Saturday, that's going to be huge. Um, that's just going to be a big momentum boost in general. And then the rushing attack, too, just ball security. That's something that we've talked about before time and time again. Um, just making sure that Iowa takes care of the ball because Northwestern's kind of a team that's similar to Iowa and that if they if you turn the ball over against them, they're going to find ways to capitalize. And they're not a team that's really going to march down the field super quickly. They're going to take their time on possessions, and that could really come in in crucial moments down the stretch, like say, like what happened against um, Purdue last week where Purdue got that fumble from Sargent and then went down the field. If Northwestern has a lead and you're turning the ball over, they're, they're a very disciplined football team. Um, they don't have – it's not like last year where they didn't – um, really have anything offensively. Like they had a couple talented receivers, but the quarterback room was just really, really bad. And running backs, I think Isaiah Bowser was out for a long time, so that didn't help either. But yeah, this team is a lot. This team is more of like a typical Northwestern team this year because they're so disciplined. They have pieces that they need. They have a good, pretty good offensive line, even with the true, even with a couple guys opting out. Um, and a potential future draft pick opting out as well and Rashawn Slater. So this team is definitely – I understand, like, the worry from Iowa fans about it because this is, like I said, it's a classic Northwestern team, and they're going to find ways to beat you, and maybe that 
some uh, some other teams really can't. There's going to be discipline. They're going to be able to run the ball. So you just got to focus on really not turning the ball over and also um, just making sure that you take advantage of the opportunities that you're given because there were multiple moments against Purdue on Saturday that you could have seen Iowa broken up the or made kind of made the game a different story. I mean, you had the Amir Smith Marset deep ball, you had the Brandon Smith deep ball, um, you had the Makai Sargent fumble, you had the Tyler Goodson fumble right there in the um, in the red zone in the first half. There were just certain moments during the game and the penalties as well. Like I didn't even touch on that. I feel like I forget that every time I talk about the game, but that's another huge thing too, because that really ruins momentum when you're driving down the field. And Iowa did a good job of not really having the in game or not like the physical ones, like the like holdings. I can think there was, there was only one against Linderbaum. And then Which there was, was the, a questionable one in the first place too. It, I mean, it, it was one of those. Yeah. Just I mean, calls. yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's a penalty. So no, it is. So, and then Jack Heflin as well, which was kind of a freak one. Um, and I think it was like four false starts or something like that. So if they can get the mental aspect down, I think they'll be a really good shape. And, but I think at the end of the day, um, what's going to be important is, I mean, the Northwestern defensive line doesn't have a Joe Gaziano on for them this year. I mean, they have a really good athletic guys. They have a couple good athletes and pretty strong physical dudes. So Iowa needs to stay disciplined and find a way to really, um, do what they did last week and trying to limit the pass rushers and just limiting those guys on the interior, because I know they're without their two stars from last year or from last week on the interior weren't listed on the depth chart. So they have two other guys in there. And even though they're backups, like they're going to find ways to produce. Like I, I remember Joe Spivak. Um, I played against him in grade school actually one year and he was just absolutely massive and he's still like that size now but yeah he was just he was just a freak um moved really well was pretty strong um and same thing with their other guys too like they're they're gonna find ways to produce like it doesn't matter what names are on the defensive line for northwestern they're gonna find ways to produce and make it tough for your run game and that's kind of what kirk barron's mentioned too on uh tuesday and keep in mind, too, Sean, Pat Fitzgerald, I don't think he'll ever really admit it, but there's an extra edge to him when it comes to Iowa. Like, he does not like Iowa whatsoever. He respects Kirk Ferentz. I fully believe that, but he does not like Iowa. And looking at their defense, Sean, Northwestern's going to have seven senior starters. If you go off their depth chart against Iowa on Saturday, I mean, Patty Fisher's back for his, you know, 37th year in uniform. One, I think one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten. Uh, Blake Gallagher, they got back. Um, Cam Ruiz is another guy to keep an eye on. I mean, they have pieces on that defense that could frustrate Iowa. Um, but like you mentioned, getting rid of the mental aspects. I think Koi Kronk had a false start. Larry Jackson had a false start. Emir Smith-Marset had a false start too, uh, which was – Interesting. I mean, I believe the fourth one was on Kyler's shot. But like you mentioned, number one thing I think is going to have to be ball security. They're going to have to just – I mean, Derek Foster's been adamant about that every single media availability we've ever had with him. He mentions that three, four, five, and six times. But, again, it was such a weird game, just the way everything kind of unfolded, Sean. Like, a fumble is a fumble, but Tyler Goodson, Goodson's fumble came – uh, by Cole Banwart trying to push Tyler Ford. He took a bad angle and kind of just punched the ball out of his teammates' hands. Makai Sargent got caught from behind, uh, maybe got caught, I don't want to say careless for a second. But, you know, credit Purdue's defense for making the big play on that. 
Um, and then obviously Aiden O'Connell and, and uh, David Bell really navigating that drive to give them the game winning uh, points. But another thing, Sean, that has, was really emphasized that stuck out to me on Tuesday during the player availability by the defense. I'm thinking specifically of Davion Nixon, who had a fantastic game. I'm thinking of Jack Kerner, who had 13 tackles on the day. It really seemed like communication was emphasized more than usual. Not that they don't emphasize it in media availability, but I mean, Davion Nixon, I believe, said it four times in the first three and a half minutes, three minutes or so. So, and I think the best example of that, Sean, is going back to David Bell's final touchdown where Dane Belton was supposed to come along the backside and have that coverage, but he bit on Purdue tight end Payne Durham over the middle and went to go help that. So Barrington Way, the fifth-year senior linebacker, was lined up against Bell. He gave him that initial contact within that five-yard range of when you're allowed to and then went up to go help in the middle, but that left David Bell wide open on the backside uh, for an easy touchdown for them. And I, I think I tweeted that he should have time to write a thesis paper or do something like that. But I think that's just one of a few examples of that, Sean. And again, I think this goes back to our initial conversation on Saturday, which was the, I think the running game really, really messed up Iowa's defensive scheme because they did not expect the Boilermakers to be able to do that against them. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, that's what's going to be huge here against or Northwestern. I mean, we talk about the run game and stuff with Isaiah Bowser and Drake Anderson and Evan Hole, but I think you got to keep an eye on those Northwestern wide receivers as well. Um, now they only had like I think the leading ones were like five receptions against um, on, against Maryland, but Peyton Ramsey, man, like I watched him very closely last year at Indiana, and he knows just how to make plays. And Kirk Ferentz mentioned it too. Like, he's going to find ways to win, and he's going to find ways to get the ball to his receivers in great spots. And he's not going to have, like, an impressive stat line at the end of the day, but he just knows how to play the game. And, um, like, guys like uh, their tight end, John Rain from, I believe, I forget where he's from. He's a grad transfer. It's one of the Florida Atlantic, maybe. Um, he had a big game. Um, this Riley – or. Um, What's his name? Why am I blanking on these names? Malik Washington is a guy that I think was going to be really the glue with their wide receiver core. Um, so they got playmakers on the outside. There's no doubt about that. So I think that's what people are expecting the run game to really make the difference this year or in this game. But you got to keep an eye out for the passing game because last year Northwestern's passing game was just absolutely abysmal. Hunter Johnson, a former five-star Recruit didn't really put together. TJ Green was not really a Big Ten caliber player. Um, there was just not a lot going for them offensively, especially in the air attack. So I think this year is going to be a little different. I think that's going to be one thing that people need to keep an eye on and people aren't talking about enough. And something, too, by the way, John Rain was from Florida Atlantic, so I think you had that one yeah. right. But l like you mentioned, Sean, I think that Iowa's defense, I think, is going to come out with an extra chip. I think getting Seth Benson back, could be big just because of his playing experience, give them some more stability in that linebacker room. Obviously, Jack Campbell's going to be out, I think, at least two more weeks, uh, which is unfortunate because they were expecting him to really be the captain for that uh, linebacking crew. Granted, 
Nick Neiman, I think, did a pretty solid job when stepping into that role. We'll see Justin Jacobs gets a little bit more run this week. Barrington Wade had himself a pretty decent game. But Wade doesn't bring that speed aspect that I think Iowa really wants to emphasize. And we'll see. I think, you know, last year, Sean, looking back at the film, Iowa almost ran exclusively a 4-2-5 defense against Northwestern last year. And that and they ended up shutting them out. But going back to a little bit of, of motivation, I think, that Iowa is going to have for this game. Two years ago, the last time Northwestern came to Kinnick Stadium, they clinched the Big Ten West title in Kinnick Stadium. Uh, and really what was a really odd game, uh, Sean, I was just looking back at the film and re-reading some of the stat lines. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I mean, it was just... Uh, abysmal. I mean, Iowa ran the ball pretty decent. Uh, Nate Stanley had himself a pretty good game. I think 260-some yards. Amir Smith-Marset had 90 yards. But again, you know, tail the tape, Sean. Two lost fumbles. Both of them came in the fourth quarter on Iowa's last two drives of the game when things are starting to get in motion. Makai Sargent had one around the six-minute mark. Ivory Kelly Martin had the one uh, as the game uh, was coming to a close, I believe, with a minute and a half. So, Again, ball security is going to be a top thing. I think Pat Fitzgerald does a really nice job of coaching his team to really look for fumbles. And Patty Fisher, the guy I mentioned earlier, linebacker, he lead, he's the NCAA's active leader in forced fumbles with 10. So, you know, he's going to be a guy. He is a ball hawk. I think, you know, Iowa, there needs to be an extra emphasis even more uh, on, on ball security. So, again, I think there's a little bit of a chip on Iowa's shoulder from the game two years ago. Uh, and that was also a game, Sean, where Isaiah Bowser really made his first impact on the Wildcats. Yeah, he kind of ran the ball, you know, okay a couple previous games. But if I remember correctly, Northwestern had one of the worst rushing offenses in the country that year. Yeah, Isaiah Bowser went 31 carries for 165 yards and a touchdown. And Iowa couldn't pull him down on first contact. And, you know, I think that, you know, he missed last year's game, I believe, with an injury. But he's going to come back with a little bit more of a vengeance, I think. Yeah, and the same thing, I want to go back to the linebackers real quick um, for Northwestern. I mean, Blake Gallagher and Chris Bergen, like you don't want to sleep on those guys too. And I think especially with kind of the lack of experience that Northwestern's defensive line has, especially with the two starters from last week being out, these linebackers are going to be even more important. I mean, we talked last year about Northwestern's offense. I mean, their defense was kind of middle of the road in the Big Ten. But they forced, I think it was like 14 turnovers, which was not the number they were looking for. Um, so, I mean, those guys, like I said, it starts it starts with the linebackers for Northwestern on defense. Patty Fisher, Gallagher, and uh, Bergen. Those guys are going to really be have to come up big and be a really important piece to this um, Northwestern defense in this game. But going back, you were talking about Bowser, right? Yeah, Bowser, 31 carries, 165 against Iowa. Right, and – I think Northwestern's offensive line, I think it's pretty the same with the defensive line. Like, no matter who they got up there, like, they're a disciplined football team. They know how to play the right way. They know how to play blocks. They know how to really um, be smart on the football field. 
And I think, too, with just Bowser in the backfield, because I believe he – I don't think he was healthy last year against Iowa. I don't remember him playing. I don't believe he did. I think he, that was when he was injured. I'm, I'm about to go take a look at that again. I'm almost certain that he was injured, too. Um, so, yeah, he's just a guy that – he's a lot like Xander Horvath last week against Purdue. I mean, I know Iowa fans really don't need to be remembered much of Bowser's 2018 performance, as you touched on, Dave, and also Xander Bowser Horvath. did play. He was fresh off an injury last year, 14 carries, okay. 36 yards. Right, but he was pretty – Nothing really was going that game for Northwestern. So, yeah, yep. Makes sense. Um, but I like the kind of one suit combination that they have with Drake Anderson and Isaiah Bowser. I watched probably about a half of the Northwestern Maryland game the other day, and the speed that Anderson has and just the ability to really kind of like Tyler Goodson esque, um, just juke some defenders and really get to that second level, which will put a lot of pressure on the safeties and the secondary as a whole. Um, that's going to be really important for those guys to really not let Anderson break off any big plays. And then Bowser's more of a guy, like I said about Xander Horvath, guy that can run between the tackles and really kind of just get that positive yardage that you need to tire out defense and keep a drive going. But those guys really complement each other really well. I was really impressed to see what they did against Maryland. Now, granted, Maryland is nowhere near the caliber of defense that Iowa is, um, as we think and as we probably assume. And hope but yeah they are very not good on defense but that's not anything to take away from Northwestern's offensive line because they're for the most part like they're kind of inexperienced mm-hmm. on the offensive line I mean they had Peter Skaronsky the former five-star recruit out of Maine West there um they have a few other guys I mean Rashawn Slater's gone um there are a couple I mean there's there are a few veterans on the list, but I think for the most part, um, it's going to be a different story because Maryland is probably the worst defensive line that we'll see or that Northwestern will see this season. So I think it's going to be kind of interesting to see how they stack up against Iowa, who not necessarily has a great defensive line. I think it's promising. I think it's going to get better throughout the year. But I think some of the stuff, I mean, Chauncey Golson had a good game. Davion Nixon had a good game. Jack Heflin was um, kind of in the middle. Um, Zach Van Valkenburg and John Wagner were kind of in it too um, from what I saw. So it'll definitely be a big test for Northwestern because I think, like I said, I think Maryland was probably the worst that they'll go up against all year. But Iowa kind of possesses a different challenge and more of that traditional kind of strong defensive line play that you don't really see from a couple other teams in the Big Ten. And I've said too, Sean, I think the big thing that stands out to me about last week in terms of Wagner was Wagner had that sack where he could have dropped Aiden O'Connell back at the two-yard line, but he just uh, – Aiden O'Connell just found a way to kind of spin out of that, and Wagner just couldn't finish that. So I think he's going to be itching to get in the backfield. And on this week's step chart, it might be a minor change, and he might still play a little bit of defensive tackle, but they did throw him back on the outside, which is where I think his, his most potential – is and I think another guy in you know that might make an impact is Joe Evans. Uh, I think he, he really showed some good things. I was rewatching the film from last year. I do like what he can bring to the table. Chauncey Golston, like you mentioned, I think he played okay. He had a really you know he could get in the backfield. He, he had a lot of uh, quarterback pressures. We'll see if he can finish more of the plays um, this week. But yeah, like you said, I really I, I can't believe I totally glossed over this when you said it. But Peyton Ramsey, like you mentioned, I think he's a really really good quarterback. 
and it was high praise from Kirk Ferentz. He said, look, I'm not saying he's Trace McSorley, but he's very McSorley-esque because he just knows how to win. He can make plays with his feet. He can deliver good, solid throws. And he has enough weapons around him that makes it a little bit dangerous. And Iowa will have to be ready if, if Ramsey does he like to run because he does have the speed. He knows how to navigate through traffic. And he is going to be a threat. So, you know, like I said, I know I picked Northwestern to finish last in the Big Ten this year. I don't really regret that still. But I do think that there are some really solid pieces that they can work with. But like you mentioned, you talked about Maryland. I mean, Sean, let's face it, Maryland's going to be the new Rutgers this year. Uh, I, I grant, actually, you know what? Maybe not. Michigan State might make that a contest uh, after what they showed last week. But Rutgers is no longer going to be Rutgers uh, when you got those other two teams in the East. But, yeah, I am interested, Sean. And I think a guy that I'm looking for to make a big splash or a big comeback, I think the top of the list has to be Emir Smith-Marset. I mean, Emir Smith-Marset hurt Iowa more than he helped him, I think, on the field last week. He had the false start. He had a 15-yard on sportsman-like conduct penalty. And I think that was more than he had all-purpose yards uh, and penalty yards. And that's certainly not something I expected out of him, considering I picked him to not, not a first-team all-conference receiver, don't get me wrong. I thought he would at least be a third-team all-conference receiver. Still has that potential, but I think he really does need to have a big week because each game for his draft stock means even more. And after last week, I could see him falling, you know, slipping little by little on NFL draft boards. So I, I expect him to come out guns a-blazing and, and uh, at least make one, if not two, big, big plays for Iowa this weekend. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of the key matchups I wrote in this game. Him and Greg Newsome, um, Northwestern star cornerback who was actually out last week against Maryland but was listed on the depth chart this week so if Newsom ends up playing then I fully expect him to guard Smith-Marset and yeah I mean I think to add on to that a little bit Smith-Marset's going to be huge in this game just because from a standpoint of you know just making plays and also like I said before the running game I think is not going to be at the level where, you know, it was last week against Purdue where Iowa had, what, 195 total rushing yards. So you're going to need some of those guys in the deep game um, to make plays for you. And there were a couple opportunities last week with Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Marset that maybe you could go back and be like, uh, maybe like another half foot there, a couple inches, that would have been a touchdown or that would have been a really big play. So Iowa needs to find ways to land on those big, most big play opportunities. I mean, last year Tyrone Tracy had a big one at Northwestern where he had that somewhere, somehow was able to escape those like four defenders or something like that and just go to the outside and just run to the other side of the field and make a play um, and score a touchdown. So I was going to need those again. I think they're going to need a couple turnovers on the defensive end as well if they really want to win that game because. Like Kirk Ferentz said, you got to be playing. Or Spencer Petras said it actually. He's like, you got to play your best football against Northwestern. Like, no matter how good or bad they are, they're they're a team that kind of like I compared in Wisconsin in basketball a little bit. Sure. Where you where you don't want to get behind, but you also don't want to make mistakes because they're going to find ways to capitalize it and they're going to find ways to expose you. You know, Sean, going back to the transcript from some of the players this week, something that really stuck out to me, and it's not a surprise that I, when I reflect on it and I think of previous seasons, but I've never heard a player actually say this, and I want your take on it. The most improved, They say the most improvement throughout a season comes from between weeks one and week two. 
week one too. And again, that makes complete sense. I've just never heard of a player actually saying that. But I think you look at the, some of Iowa's past successful seasons, I think that's absolutely the case. I think you think back to 2009 when Iowa had to block back-to-back field goals against uh, Northern Iowa. I think back to even – not even just like close wins. I'm talking about even last year against Miami, Ohio, Iowa's offense didn't get started really that well. And that I think has been the case over the previous years. But I, I don't know about you, but that's something that definitely stuck out to me, and that's why I'm extra interested to see how Iowa comes out uh, in week two this weekend against Northwestern. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, yeah, there's a lot. It's just going to be an interesting game because I think this game, if you don't win, like you're in trouble in the Big Ten West, obviously. Like, And you want to be 2-1 and one going into Minnesota. I think next week against Michigan State, um, is a game that you'll win. But I think this game is kind of a toss-up. I was really surprised to see Iowa being a four-point favorite on Monday or on Sunday when the game – when the line came out from William Hill. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot – there's a yeah. lot in this game to kind yeah. of – like you can kind of go either way, I think. With Northwest – or with uh, Purdue, you're kind of like, okay, Purdue does this and they're going to find a way to win. Like that was – get the ball to David Bell, you're going to find a way to win. I think against Northwestern, like they could beat you in more ways than maybe Purdue could. I mean, granted, Purdue got it going both ways of the ball um, with the run game and pass game, but I think Northwestern is just a team that if you don't, if you make mistakes, they're going to find ways to capitalize it and they're going to just find ways to beat you, um, even if you do play pretty well, because they're not a team that likes to score a lot of points. Like they kind of like to keep it in the in the tens and like the low twenties. So. You got to do, you got to have a lot of things working for you against Northwestern, that's for sure. No, and I think you're exactly right. And I'll say this, Sean, if we want to talk about the Big Ten West, I think it was a little bit of a relief for Iowa that Minnesota dropped against Michigan. But like you said, I hate saying must win game as the second game of the year, but if you're talking about contending for the Big Ten West, I think that this is a must win game. I think that Iowa's still going to need to beat Minnesota. They're going to have to beat Nebraska, they're going to have to beat Wisconsin if they want to do that. Because, again, Wisconsin-Nebraska's canceled this weekend. That really doesn't impact either team's chances or to win the Big Ten West or lose the Big Ten West because there's no contest. But what makes it interesting is, assuming that the Badgers can play next week, right, they're on a seven-day break of football activities. That means they are not going to be returning to practice until Wednesday. That means they're going to have to play Purdue on two, if not three days of prep. And that's going to give Purdue a huge advantage. I mean, Sean, we're talking about Purdue is probably a legitimate Big Ten West title contender now that they've beaten, that they've beaten Iowa. And if Rondale Moore comes back, if King Doru comes back, if their defense can cause turnovers in opposing territory, I, I mean, Purdue's a legitimate Big Ten West title contender now. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yeah, I always thought they were kind of a sleeper team. Um, but yeah, I mean, as we said before, kind of with everything going on, um, 
the Big Ten. I mean, I don't really have anything else to say other than the Big Ten just messing it up. Um, so we'll see. I think I think Purdue definitely has potential if they get Rondell Moore back and if they figure out the quarterback situation. I think we just saw Aiden O'Connell on Saturday, and Jeff Brown was talking about all week how we could possibly see both Jack Plummer and Aiden O'Connell and maybe even a third-string quarterback, Austin Burton. So if they figure out their quarterback situation, they get more confident. If their defense can put things together, um, I thought their secondary did a great job against Iowa's wide receivers for the most part. Um, if they can keep running the ball effectively like they did against Iowa, I think they got a legit chance, definitely, especially with North with Wisconsin um, being hurt with this COVID stuff. Like, I definitely think they have a chance now. And something interesting too, Sean, that I, I noticed that I did a, I know I'm jumping topic, topic here, but I did a quarterback breakdown of Spencer Petras. I'm also going to have a throw-by-throw analysis coming up later today. HawkeyeInsider.com, be sure to be ready for that. But Sean, something that stuck out to me throughout m- me re-watching the game and everything was, and this is a good thing, despite Emir Smith, Marset, Tyrone Tracy, and Brand Smith, not really, I don't want to say not being a factor, but not being a really huge factor as we expected them to be in week one. Five receptions for 50, uh, 53 total yards between the three of them. Nate, I, I almost said Nate Stanley, that's how, close, that's how used to it I am. But Petrus seems to have found his safety net, and he didn't hesitate on it. I thought he went through his progressions very well. Sam Laporta, I think, is legit. I think he's going to continue his rise. A sophomore tight end, 249-pounder, four, out of Illinois. Five receptions, 70, 79 yards, I believe. Uh, also hit Tyler Goodson in the backfield a few times for some checkdowns. So while Iowa's wide receivers weren't getting open or providing a lot of opportunities, I think Iowa fans should be encouraged that Spencer Petras has that connection with Tyler Goodson and with Sam Laporta and in finding kind of his safety nets to say, hey, look, the guys in my progressions aren't open. He knows exactly where to look and where to find his guys that he knows. I don't want to say I'll bail him out, but, again, give him that nice cushion that can help boost his own confidence and maybe get the offense back in rhythm. Yeah, it's definitely Stanley Hawkinson-esque. Um, Hawkinson's not – like senior, not a last year at Iowa, but the one is um, second to last year where we kind of knew about him. But I think just his reliability of the way he's able to catch and the way he's able to bring down balls and like good hands, he's able to pinpoint the ball at the highest point. He's able to really make tough catches in contact. Like there were a couple times where he just got absolutely, where Hawkinson would just get absolutely rocked after the yeah. pass, but he'd be able to haul it down. And I think Laporta really gives a lot of those vibes and you could say the same thing about George Kittle as well but I think a lot of Laporta's game is reminiscent to uh, TJ Hawkinson just the way he's able to really do so much on the football field and his blocking ability um, there's a lot to like about Laporta that's definitely definitely Iowa struck struck gold here when they were recruiting him got him late in the 2019 class early signing period but yeah I think Spencer Peters being able to recognize that kind of shows you um, kind of the maturity that he has as a quarterback in his first like starting or his first start, um, but also just the kind of connection that they have for the next few years. And with the wide receivers too, like I said, I think Purdue did a really good job on him. If Petrus can be able to keep kind of that connection and keep that kind of vibe with Laporta, I think Iowa's going to be in good shape because once Laporta starts doing more damage, I think that's going to open up for those receivers as well. And 
I think I think really what I'm trying to say is I think people need to kind of relax about the receivers in general. I mean, yeah, Smith Marset didn't really look mentally in there. Um, Brandon Smith, you wish he could have showed up a little bit more. Um, Nico Regani had a couple good catches. Tyrone Tracy had a couple of nice receptions. There's a lot to like about this wide receiver group, and I think just the way that Iowa's offense was able to move the ball. Now I know Purdue's defense is not necessarily the best in the Big Ten, but I think if Iowa's the, I think Iowa, the way they were able to move the ball against Purdue, I think that's encouraging because even without the receivers really playing a huge factor in that game, I think they're going to come along eventually. Who knows? Maybe we'll see it this week against Northwestern. I'm pretty optimistic for the most part that this offense will figure it out and that the wide receivers will be able to really come into their own because I think Amir Smith Marset is too talented not to catch um, four, five, six touchdowns um, in the seven remaining regular season games this year. I think Brandon Smith's in the same boat. I think Tyrone Tracy's going to be able to break off a couple big plays. I think Nico Regani is going to be able to do the same. Um, there's a lot to like about this group. Like I think people need to relax a little bit. I know per- Purdue performance was not very – um, appealing or didn't really give any people much confidence, but I think this group is going to figure it out, and I think this offense is really going to be able to start clicking once we get like two or three games, and who knows, maybe it'll be this week against Northwestern. That'd definitely be nice for a lot of people, but I think it's going to really get going as the season progresses. And, and if you talk about that week one to week two uh, improvement, Sean, I think that's what people should exactly uh, expect, and I think that you bring up good points. In regards to people need to relax on the receiving core, I'd say the same thing about Spencer Petrus. I mean, I think there's a lot to like about Petrus's performance on Saturday. Obviously, again, the no touchdowns was a big factor. I thought his decision-making was pretty solid for the most part. And again, a couple of those deep passes, I still think they could have been completed. But 460 yards, you know, I know it only translates to 20 points. You have to score points to obviously win football games. But they're moving the ball they need to figure out that next hurdle of red zone offense. And that I think, you know, ball security is going to be a big deal, but I think they have the red zone targets this year that they didn't have last year. I think Laporta is going to be a guy that again, emerges like that. Brandon Smith, if he stays healthy, he's going to be a big red zone guy. So it, it w- I'm very interested to see how the receivers end up returning. I, again, all, my eyes are going to be on Amir Smith, Marset. Uh, just because he has been praised all offseason for his leadership, uh, for his effort, and for his consistency. But I think we really uh, need to see that. And like you said, I think Laporta getting more involved in the past game will open things up. I think Iowa running the football as well as they did on Saturday against Purdue, I think that'll open things up. Again, all three backs showed something. Ivory Kelly Martin had a couple really nice runs, I thought, Sean. But Kai Sargent showed a little bit of a second gear. Again, he's got to protect the football, though. That's been a constant problem late in games throughout his career. He's got to be able to do that. But that second level he was hitting. And Tyler Goodson, I mean, Sean, there were times where you and I were, you know, looking back and forth at each other after a Tyler Goodson run, and we said, man, he just looks a lot – I don't want to say tougher, but he will run through people. And I think you had brought up the point to me where you said – He's falling forward rather, rather than backwards. That's gonna, that makes a big deal in terms of one or two extra yards uh, per run. So I think, again, there's a lot to like about what Iowa's got to do. Yes, they have to put it together. But I've, I said this to you, and I'll, I'll say it again. Looking at Iowa's schedule, they can beat every single team on the schedule. They can lose to every single team on the schedule. I mean, I look across the Big Ten. We'll see what happens with Wisconsin. Um, Penn State. Lost Noah Kane, their former five-star 
running back, the second running back that they've lost for the season. I think that's a big deal. They still don't have Micah Parsons. That Penn State game is going to be interesting to me. We'll see how Minnesota comes back this week after dropping a tough one in Michigan. But, you know, a lot of people will scoff at this because I think Spencer Petras said postgame, all of their goals are still on the table other than finishing undefeated. And when you look around the Big Ten, you look at the progression of what the potential of this team could be, I think all the goals are on the table. I think that they still have the talent to be able to achieve those goals. But again, I think Iowa needs to come out strong. They need to make a statement. They need to play together. There needs to be chemistry, communication. And they, they, I think if they can just show improvement and they can put it all together, I think there are reasons to be optimistic, especially since you get Northwestern this week, you get Michigan State next week. And then you can look at a confident Iowa team at 2-1 and one going into Minnesota for a Friday night game. For sure. Should we get into our uh, Northwestern predictions here? Yep, let's do it. Uh, I'll let you go, Sean. Give me give me two keys to the game and your prediction and why. And if you want okay. to throw in a bold prediction, something that happened in the game, go for it. So I'm going to go two ones I kind of mentioned. I'm going to go number one, Chauncey Golson against Pete Skaronsky. Um, I think if Chauncey Golson gets one or two sacks, Iowa's defensive line is going to be in really good shape. And I think the key is to be able to bust that uh, that Northwestern rushing attack. And I think Jack Heflin and Davion Nixon will also be really big in helping that. And who's ever lit, who has ever lined up on the other side of the um, line, whether that's Zach Van Valkenburg or John Wagoner, um, those guys, that, that front seven is going to be critical um, with the linebackers as well. I think that's going to be key. I think having Seth Benson is going to be a lot of help. Um, he's expected to be back this week at linebacker. So that's my number one. Number two, getting the receivers involved. I think if those guys can have a big game, then that's going to be a huge step in the right direction and just really get that offense and the confidence rolling, which you need with this group. So prediction, I'm going to go – I'm going to go – I bet people can project what I'm going to do here. I'm going to go Iowa 17, Northwestern 14. I think Iowa figures it out this week. I think they move the ball well, but – Northwestern, like I've said before, their defense is so good that you're only going to get so much against them. But I also think Northwestern's offense – or Iowa's defense does a little bit more than Northwestern's offense to get the win. So I'm going to take Iowa in a close one. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still going back and forth on this myself. I guess my, my big key is get a touchdown the first drive. I think if Iowa can establish the tempo right away, they can connect – uh, with the receiver for a big play, if they can get the run game going, get Spencer Petrus's first career touchdown pass. I think that'd be huge for the not even just the offense. I think it'd be huge for the rest of the game. So I think if Iowa can get an opening drive, uh, an opening possession touchdown, I think that goes a long ways. And on defense, I think it's holding uh, Northwestern to under three and a half yards per carry. I think if they can limit Isaiah Bowser, if they can uh, limit Drake Anderson. And force Peyton Ramsey to win the game uh, with his arm rather than, you know, his legs. I think that will do wonders for Iowa's defensive confidence. Uh, so those will be my two big keys. My bold prediction is that Amir Smith-Marset has a 30-plus yard touchdown, whether it be a kickoff return, whether it be uh, through the air, I think that – or maybe even a run. I think that they are going to make it a little bit more of an emphasis to try to get Amir Smith-Marset involved. And I think, again, he has to. So that's my prediction. I'm going to go – you know, it sounds crazy. I'm going to go Iowa 27, Northwestern 19. I think that Iowa doesn't win by double digits. I think they win comfortably. 
I think they get a couple touchdowns through the air. But I think Iowa just knows that they have to come out. They have to make a statement. And uh, I, I think they get the job done. So the picks are officially in. Uh, so, again, HawkeyeInsider.com, 24-7 sports. Get 50% off an annual subscription today. Please, the support helps us keep giving you the most in-depth Iowa coverage uh, out there. But we'll be back for a post-game podcast on Halloween. We'll see if Iowa can get the job done against the Wildcats and see if they can keep their hopes for a Big Ten West title alive. Next week, we'll dive more into college basketball. We'll see if there's going to be a schedule released by then. Hopefully, there's a little bit more clarity on all that situation. But keep in mind, uh, we are under a month away from Iowa college basketball season, so you won't want to miss it. Again, HawkeyeInsider.com. Be sure to follow us at David Eichel on Twitter, D-A-V-I-D-E-I-C-K-H-O-L-T. And follow Sean at sbach247. Again, thanks for listening, and take care. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.